Welcome to Wellness Realness with Christina Rice. I'm your host, Christina. I'm a nutritional therapy practitioner, holistic health coach, and the creator of ChristinaRiceWellness.com, where you can find my blog, recipes, services, programs, and ebooks. In this podcast, I'll be discussing all things related to health and wellness, and I promise to always keep it very real. If you'd like to submit a question or a topic for me to discuss, send it in to podcast at ChristinaRiceWellness.com. Don't forget to subscribe, leave a rating and a review on iTunes, and join the Facebook group, Wellness Realness Podcast Tribe. Okay, you guys, I'm so excited for you to hear this episode because this conversation is just the epitome of why I started this podcast to begin with, to have conversations like this, very real, very raw, no BS, and talking about the struggles people go through that we often don't want to be explicit about. Today, I'm chatting with my good friend, Nicole Modic, who I'm sure many of you know if you're on social media in the health and wellness world. Nicole Modic is the blogger behind Kale Junkie, kalejunkie.com. She's an incredible recipe developer, also an amazing wellness blogger, and has shared her journey through her blog and Instagram page over time. She talks about her struggle with binge eating disorder, binging and purging, as well as going through a really difficult divorce, what it was like leaving her career as a lawyer and going full force into the world of vlogging. And Nicole is someone who I just have the utmost respect for. She's one of my favorite people to follow on social media because she is so real, raw, authentic, and really making positive changes in the world, and she's so genuine. She's one of the few people on social media who I feel like is really sharing the nitty-gritty details of what it's like to go through the types of struggles she's been through, and she's not afraid to just be super open and honest and vulnerable, and I think that her story is incredible, and a lot of people can relate to it, even if you haven't gone through the exact same things that she's gone through, I think there are definitely pieces of these emotions that will resonate with you. I was so excited when Nicole agreed to come on the podcast because I've been wanting to have this conversation with her for a while and dive deeper into her own personal story. So I feel very honored that she was willing to share it all on here. This episode is, like I said, very raw and open and we do talk a lot about binging and purging so if that is a trigger for you if you have struggled with an eating disorder or have a strained relationship with food and you think that that might trigger some thoughts that aren't the best for you then please take that into consideration and maybe skip this episode so i just wanted to put that disclaimer out there because everyone is at different points in their journey of their relationship with food so i just wanted to let you know about that in case you thought that would be triggering. But if you are at a different point in your health journey, this might be the exact episode you need um, to feel less alone, to kind of help you get through whatever you're going through and let you know that you can make it out. Really inspiring story and I'm just super excited for you guys to hear it. But before I hop into that conversation, I want to let you guys know about this episode's sponsor, my favorite full-spectrum hemp oil, Ned. 
I know you've heard me talk about it before, but I cannot explain enough how much this has changed my life and I feel like I'm recommending it to everyone I chat with. I know there are so many different CBD oils on the market, but Ned is the only full spectrum hemp oil that I personally use and notice great results with. You guys know how picky I am when it comes to ingredients and quality and Ned full spectrum hemp oil is of the highest quality. All of Ned's products are made from organic, whole, and natural ingredients. They're all small batch, slow crafted, and they only source products from local farms and communities. They only extract from hemp flowers, also known as the buds, whereas other products will extract from the stalks and the seeds of the hemp plant, which lacks all of those beautiful aromatic features of the flower, which is why the Ned tastes so delicious. And they also use a very gentle and slow ethanol-based extraction method over at Ned, which is done at room temperature, so there's no high heat and there's no high pressure. They also don't use any isolates or synthetic ingredients. CBD isolates are all over the market right now, and an isolate is a lab-isolated CBD compound that's in a white powdered form, and it's stripped of all of the other phytocannabinoids that will complement the cannabidiol. Without those other cannabinoids, you're not getting that entourage effect, as they call it, which is really thought to be behind the true healing powers of hemp. Ned, on the other hand, contains active cannabinoids in addition to the cannabidiol. So there are all the other compounds like the CBG, CBC, CBDA, CBGA, and so on. This is why it is a full spectrum hemp oil. And then of course, the only ingredients in Ned are the cannabidiol, the CBD, and then the range of other phytocannabinoids as well as non-GMO MCT oil. So they don't need to add in any flavors or colors or any inflammatory oils. It is seriously the highest quality and you can taste the difference. So what can you use Ned's full spectrum hemp oil for? Well, cannabinoids have a ton of different benefits. They stimulate the endocannabinoid system in the body, which really helps the body regulate and reach that level of homeostasis. So CBD and phytocannabinoids can be used as a sleep aid to treat insomnia, also as an anti-inflammatory and natural pain reliever. So if you have chronic pain, this can be really helpful. If you have anxiety, depression, PTSD, CBD can help, as well as any chronic condition like epilepsy, Parkinson's, Alzheimer's. Those have all shown improvement with the use of CBD. Ned products do not get you high, so don't worry about that. I just put one to two droppers worth under my tongue, hold it there for about 30 seconds every evening, um, a a few hours before I go to sleep. Also, sometimes in the morning, if I need to kind of level out in the morning, and I always recommend starting with a 300 milligram and then graduating up to a higher dosage. Ned also sells an awesome body butter if you have pain on your body that cbd body butter can be incredible and then they also have some really yummy lip balms that i absolutely love so if you want to try out any of ned's products just go to helloned.com and then you can use my discount code wellness 
for 15% off. That's W-E-L-L-N-E-S-S, wellness for 15% off of any of Ned's products. And make sure you let me know how it goes when you try it out. I love hearing your testimonials. And I know that the founders of Ned, Rhett and Adrian, who have been on this podcast, also love hearing how it's changed your life as well. So again, you can just go to helloned.com and use my discount code wellness. Okay, I think it's time to get into this conversation with Nicole. If you want to learn more from her, you can go to kalejunkie.com to read more of her posts, find her delicious, incredible recipes, and make sure you follow her on Instagram at kalejunkie. She is one of the most genuine, kindest, incredible women I know, and I'm just so honored to have her on this podcast. So without further ado, here is Nicole Modic. Thanks for coming on the podcast. I told you I'm so excited to chat with you. Why don't you introduce yourself to listeners? Sure. Um, hi, everyone. Um, my name is Nicole Modic, and um, I am a health and wellness blogger slash influencer or whatever you want to call me, um, who is a former lawyer in my past life. Um, I practiced law for six and a half years. I hated it every step of the way, but really struggled to find my way out. And at the same time, I was struggling with an eating disorder that really destroyed, you know, probably over 15 years of my life, uh, ruined relationships along the way, and really was in a bad place for a lot of years until I found my way out, found a way to channel my passion for health and wellness um, into a brand new career that has impacted and hopefully impacted many lives um, through my recovery process and my journey and doses of, of realness and real talk along the way. Yeah, and honestly, Nicole, I just think that you're one of the most inspirational people on social media, like truly. Like I love how raw and real you are, especially with I mean, with everything that you've gone through because you have a really incredible story and you've gone through so much, but you just like say it how it is. And I remember when I first read um one of your first posts about like your eating disorder, and you were mm-hmm. describing what it was like binging and just literally exactly what it's like. And I'm like, no one says that. Like, no one is just like, this is what it's actually like, the experience. Um, I think that's really important for people to hear. Like, because it's all this taboo, this taboo stuff. Um, yeah. But being honest about it is like the, the way that's going to help. I, I think reading that is going to help a lot of other women start to overcome it and accept what's going on, you know? Yeah. And as as much as we've like progressed as a society and started, um, you know, having these real conversations about it, I feel like there's still stigma associated with, um, with eating disorders specifically and, you know, having people open up and share their stories is really where the healing is and, you know, getting really deep with it. Like I, you know, will never forget when my husband walked in. Um, we weren't even married yet, but he walked in the bedroom and I was laying in bed and I had literally a bag of bread It's not even anything like, you know, you'd think like, Oh, cookies or cake or whatever. But the issue was so real and so raw that I was sitting there with just a loaf of plain sprouted, boring bread that I was shoveling in my mouth and he caught me and he came in and he picked up a magazine and I had shoved when he walked in the door um, I shoved the bread or slice of bread in the magazine. He picked up the magazine and it fell onto the floor and I was mortified. But those moments are the things that like really 
called into called into focus that there's a problem here, but there's also there shouldn't be any shame around it because you have to release that in order to get to the healing that you need. So, yeah. Um, okay. I want to like dive into this because I think you being so open about it can help a lot of people. So when did your eating disorder start? You know, my eating disorder started, I would say when I was about 15 years old. Um, I, my mom sent me to a new school and it was in around the 10th grade and the girls were really mean to me when I went to this new school and I felt like I was bullied. Um, and so as a result, I didn't have any friends. So I spent a lot of time in the cafeteria and they had hot meals every day and I would eat and eat and eat and eat, um, and not thinking anything of it, but I had gained some weight. And one day I came home and, you know, my mom was like, you know, you look like you've gained some weight and, um, asked me if I wanted to join her and go to Weight Watchers. And that was the start of um, me understanding that I could do something to control my food intake and that would um, have an impact on the way my body looked. And I also didn't realize that there was something defective or flawed about me because I had gained some weight. I didn't make that connection until my own mom um, pointed it out to me and made me, you know, I'm sure she had the best intentions but really, that really um, made me for the first time think that there was something wrong with me, that I wasn't good enough as I, as I was, that I needed to do something to like lose weight in order to be more accepted or more visually, physically appealing to people. So um, she signed me up for a, gym, for a gym, and that's where my journey with fitness came in. Um, and at the same time I was going to Weight Watchers and, um, counting points for everything that I ate and slowly, but surely I lost all of that 10 or 15 pounds that I, that I gained. And with that, um, I lost my period and, um, I wasn't, I wasn't, um, you know, abnormally thin, but for my own body I was, and it was unhealthy and that, um, that's where it started. So, and through the years, it was always about, um, controlling my food intake. And, but I also had desires to like eat cake and cookies and all of these things that I was afraid to eat because I was so afraid to gain weight. So I binge ate copious amounts of foods in one sitting. I would, you know, try to throw them up, um, as much as I possibly could. Um, sometimes it was, it worked and I felt a, a sense of release and I could go on and, um, you live a, a semi normal functional life, but other times I couldn't get the food up and I would sit home and in the, in a deep depression because I felt, um, you know, one, I was going to gain weight and two, nobody very unlovable who would love, who would love this person that was really stuck in this deep, dark hole. Um, and, and, and less than perfect. So how often were you binging? Um, I would say it got to the point, it got worse as I, um, I went through a divorce. I know we want to talk about that too at some point, but, um, uh, through college and I was studying for the LSAT and I was married at the time, um, in an, you know, really unhealthy relationship and it got worse uh, at that time. And then during law school, like really high stress times where I would say I would binge every day, um, once, once a day at least. Um, and then there were periods that were, felt less stressful and where I felt more in control of my life and that I could go a week without, without binging. So it kind of just, 
came and went in different cycles and, um, different, it ebbed and flowed based on different things that I was going through in my life. But stress was mostly the, the, um, the trigger and feeling. And when life felt out of control, I tried to use food as a way to like, to control my environment and everything around me. Yeah. I'm, I'm curious, did you ever wonder, especially at the beginning, um, I mean, having come from a Weight Watchers perspective, or a lot of us come from a place of like under eating to some extent when we start getting into health and then um, people feel like I'm eating so much. Did you ever go through a phase where like, is this binging or is this just overeating or is this just eating more food that I'm used to? You know, I think sometimes all of those terms get um, jumbled in, especially like when people talk about this on social media and I just feel like there is a difference between binging and overeating and just like eating more than usual. Um, yeah. Yeah. It's, that's interesting. I mean, I, to me, when I think of the word binging, um, I think of an excess amount of food in one setting or in one serving, not just simply like it's Thanksgiving dinner or you made something really yummy at home and you had an extra serving. That's, enjoying life. And that might be an indulgence or, um, or overeating in a positive way. You, you've, you fully enjoyed the experience associated with having that extra serving, but binging to me is more like, um, a really unhealthy relationship with the food. So you're, you're, could be in my case, I was shoveling food in my mouth without taking time to chew what was coming into my mouth or to taste the food or to, um, to process anything. It was more about quantity and feeling a fullness inside in an unhealthy way. I don't know if that like, yeah, I think it does. Yeah. Did you feel physical hunger for the food or was it like you knew you, you were full, you just kept eating? Yeah, I knew I was full and I kept eating, but mostly my trigger foods were things with refined sugar. So like, um, uh, cookies, cakes, ice creams, all of those things that, um, even when I wasn't hungry, I craved them more and more and more and more because, you know, sugar is like a drug. So you, you know, your body craves it. And so now, you know, I've, I've, I know that about myself. I know my body so well that I know if I do eat refined sugar, like I'm out at a holiday thing and I, I do, I really have to be mindful about it and take a few steps back to know that that could still potentially be a trigger for me. And that's the reason why, um, you know, to your point about social media and how, you know, we label our, I label my recipes and I say, oh, this is paleo or this is vegan or whatever. It's not necessarily, uh, or I say it's refined sugar free, not because I'm promoting a certain diet or a lifestyle, but really just to like inform people, um, that, that may have a very healthy relationship with those programs. Or for me, in my case, it's like, I'm going to tell you that my recipes refined sugar free, because for me, sugar is that, that, that trigger for me. Yeah. And yeah, I, and I totally relate with that too. And I think also this is where I've been having trouble with this like intuitive eating movement going on that's turned into sort of food shaming around people who don't eat sugar. And I'm like, from people who have struggled with an eating disorder, like I'm the same way, like I have trigger foods and I'm like, if I go too far, like I'll fall back into it. Um, And I think it's hard. A lot of the people who are being like, you know, if you eat X, Y, or Z way, you're restricting yourself. I'm like, 
you know, if you haven't struggled with an eating disorder, not thinking from that perspective, it's really unfair of you to say that. Totally. Yep. And I think it takes more um, wisdom or maturity too, to like, to know yourself. Mm -hmm. Like Mm -hmm. I know, um, you know, I consider myself somebody who's healed from my eating disorder, but I also am realistic enough to know that if I do bring in my home, a box of, you know, cupcakes that are filled with a ton of sugar and I have one, I can be okay with one, but it does something in my, it does something to my brain where I, um, I automatically want to go and eat the entire box. Mm -hmm. And that's so, so the reason I choose to like avoid that or, um, eliminate that for my life more so is not because it's, um, you know, I, I, I'm food shaming or I, um, think it's bad, everything in moderation, but really it's because I know myself and I'm trying to like make, not go down that path again. Like why open that door if I don't need to? Yeah, absolutely. I'm wondering if like, so in case someone's listening and they haven't read your post about it, where you describe it, could you maybe describe like, what was, what did a binge look like for you? Like what what were you eating? Yeah. Um, I I'll tell you this cause these are the ones that are like mostly in my mind. Um, I would go to spend a full day at law school in classes and I would, on my way home, I would go and stop at a seven 11 or a, a quick market and run in and get five or six of these Nestle toll house ice cream sandwiches. They were in individual, um, servings, but they were highly caloric, highly processed, highly, you know, if you know what I'm talking about, um, there, anyway, I would get, start with that. I'd get big bags of M&Ms, giant bags of M&Ms. Um, and then I would also get gallons of gallons of ice cream because I felt ice cream was something that was really easy for me to, to throw up, you eat it. And it was just, it was easy. So I would take all of those things. I would come home. I would close the door of my room, um, lock my door, eat all of those things, um, in a really short amount of time, probably under five minutes. So you're, I'm sitting there just in, in uh, the way I can describe it is like you, I felt euphoric eating all of these things that like, uh, that were forbidden for me for so many years because of counting points and restricting and, um, being fearful of gaining weight. I felt like I was so happy in the moment gorging myself and satisfying my body with all these sugary things. But the moment that binge was over five minutes later, maybe 10 minutes later, then a huge sense of um, remorse and guilt and all of that came up where I would go to the bathroom and I got so good at it that I didn't have to stick my finger down my throat. It would just automatically regurgitate and I'd get good at knowing what foods were easy to binge and what I know, like if I go and eat a loaf of bread, I can't get that up easily. That will sit in my stomach. But I know if I eat ice cream, that's an easy thing um, to regurgitate like those those things. And 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 after it was over, I felt a sense of release and calm and okay, I can go study now. I've 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 satisfied my body. I felt in control and I I was able to get it up and now I am calm again. I can sit down in front of my computer and study for the next five, six, seven, eight hours. I'd vow to myself never to do that again and never to treat my body that way again. Um, 
but the next day would come around. And after I'm leaving law school, that same, um, that same urge would come up to say, like, I don't know if it was the, the sugar craving or it became habit. Like you do something so many times that like skipping my trip to the, to the convenience store would actually throw me off because it became so routine. It was like a daily thing for me. Um, and, and one day I'll never forget, you know, one of the come to Jesus moments was when I was in the middle of a binge trying to throw up, trying to throw up the ice cream. I remember that like my heart started beating so fast and I started shaking and I felt for a second that like, what if, you know, what if I pass out? What if I have a stroke? What if I have a heart attack? What if I, what if I die? Like I blacked out for a second and then I, I, um, you know, fully came to my senses. And it was really at that moment where I felt, Oh my God, I am damaging my body so much that if I continue down this path, I might die. I might not make it to the end of law school. I might not make it to like potentially, um, find a husband one day or have kids or any of these things that like, I, I really need help but I also don't know where to turn. Mm-hmm. And I, that's like a perfect, I, cause I want to get into kind of how you got out of this, but I do still have a few questions. I'm wondering, like, do you remember the time you first purged? Because I'm curious kind of what your thought process was that time. You know, like I always wonder, I, I had binging disorder, but I never purged. And I always kind of wondered like, you know, how do you get to that point where you actually like make yourself throw up? Like, does that make sense? Yeah, totally makes sense. I think, you know, like, had you seen that somewhere before, you know? Yeah, you know, I think it was, I I, I think it was probably in the height of like, I lost all of the weight that I wanted to from Weight Watchers. And I wanted treats so bad. And I felt so deprived that the only way that I could do that or think to myself, um, you know, of how I could have all of those things was let me eat it and see if I can regurgitate it. And if I can, then, Hey, maybe I can have my cake and eat it too. Mm-hmm. And I remember the first time so vividly. Um, and it wasn't with anything. It wasn't with chocolate. It was like with a smoothie. And I think that was, I had an extra smoothie that day. And I remember it being kind of like easy, like ice cream. I just, I didn't have to stick my finger down my throat. I just kind of, I don't know, sounds funny, but kind of burped and like it could all, it all came up. And that was the, that was the moment where I thought, God, this is really easy. So maybe I can, I can physically strive for this level of perfection that I think I'm trying to portray, um, and have my cake and eat it too. Maybe I can restrict my my food and indulge in all of the things and look the way that I want to do and hopefully attract the right men in my life that I want to be noticed and seen by and have all of the friends in my life and people want wanting to gravitate towards me because I look a certain way. Maybe I can do all of those things now that I've proven to myself that, oh, I can I, I can have my cake and eat it too. Did anybody, did anybody know? No one knew. And, and no one knew because, you know, I, I, you know, I had my shit together. I always did. I was, you know, I was a, um, really strong student. I worked really hard grades and, um, academics didn't come easy for me, but I was very, very focused on, um, my studies. And also, although I worked out a lot, I was never, um, I wasn't excessive exercising. So I was never abnormally 
thin um, or anorexic looking, or I don't know how else to describe it, but I was always very healthy looking, mm-hmm. um, even though I didn't have my period. So from an outside observer, they would say, um, you know, even my mom or friends would say, gosh, you look really fit, but they never once would, it didn't cross their mind to see like, oh, is there, is Nicole suffering from an eating disorder? There must be something wrong because from the outside, I, I didn't have that appearance of, of potentially questioning, um, questioning that. What about in terms of like social situations though? Did, like I always, you know, like no one ever, did you ever purge in front, like in the bathroom when you were with at someone's house or like, did that ever come up? Yeah, mostly on holidays. Um, you know, not really, not ever when I was out with friends, um, I would, I would, I would somehow be able to I'd control it around friends. Um, the only tough times that were hard for me was really around holidays at um, aunts and uncles houses where they would have all of the trigger foods around all of the sweets that I wanted to eat that I, um, you know, deprived myself of. And um, I'd go into the bathroom, you know, when nobody was looking and spend time in there just trying to throw up. And then I'd go back out. And, and after I got it up, I was like, okay, I can actually have more now. I've already cleared my stomach of that and I can go enjoy more. And I'd fill up on all of those things. And it made me really, um, you know, dis- not look forward to the holidays because I knew that like I would be around those foods and I really couldn't control it. Um, yeah, no one knew. Did did anyone make comments about how much you were eating at the holidays? Like if you were kind of binging there? No, because I, you know, in general, I've always been, um, like a bigger eater. I eat a lot of food. Um, so I never, I never, it was never excessive amounts on my plate, but I, I've always been known as, you know, someone who likes food and I'd go back for seconds and, no shame around that. Um, I just would tend to gravitate towards more of the healthier, um, foods, um, and then eat the not so healthy foods, um, in hiding. Mm-hmm. Do you, do you think that if you weren't in law school or it's such a, like, I mean, that's an intense situation, right? Do you think that you, that still would have continued? Like, did that play a big role in it? You know, the law school intensified it, but I think, um, you know, and I hate to bring it back to my mom, but it was the first, I always go back to that time when I never saw anything wrong with me or I never associated, um, I never associated that there was anything like wrong or physically, yeah, physically wrong with me, um, until my mom pointed that out to me and that, also had a pattern of dieting growing up and she would always, um, gain weight and lose weight and say, you know, gosh, I look so great. I gained weight. Oh, I look so fat because I I've gained weight or I lost. It was just this really bad yo-yo where like I, I started to put two and two together of like associating my happiness with how I looked. So I think law school made it worse. But I think, um, you know, it was really, it really started when, when I realized or when she put it in my mind that maybe there was something wrong with me physically. Um, and that continued. Um, yeah. And then I started to, and as I started to look better in terms of controlling my food, I started to get more attention from guys and people started to compliment me more. And it became this vicious cycle where people would say, gosh, you look amazing. Or what are you doing? Or guys would want to take me out on a date. And I'm like, okay, if I'm being noticed now, because I look a certain way, then this is something that I I'm going to definitely control. Um, and law school was just like the time when it 
really got out of control. Yeah. Have you ever talked to your mom about that? Like, does she know that you kind of feel that's when it started? Yes. And it's a, it's a really, it's a touchy thing. Um, because I think that, um, she, she doesn't want to accept, have any part in that. And she, you know, she also didn't know that I was struggling for all these years. So now she knows, um, because I've, you know, made it public on social media that I struggled with an eating disorder and she's said to me on a couple of occasions, like, gosh, I wish I knew that you were struggling. I would have helped you. But this ironic thing is, is that like she was part of the problem yeah. or she's the, the, the problem. So how could she help me um, when she had that mentality herself? And even to this day at, you know, 70 years old, she's, you know, still thinking, um, you know, gosh, you know, I look so I lost 10 pounds. I look so great or whatever it is, it just puts me kind of back. It always brings me back to that, um, to my childhood and growing up. Yeah. I think a lot of women, um, had that experience. I feel like that everyone, like the parent generation right now, well, I guess, and we're in different generations kind of, but you know, like everyone, I feel like who's like 50 and older grew up in a very diety mentality. And that's why I think now we're seeing so many people with eating disorders, like, because that rubbed off on so many of us. Yeah. And you know, you know, maybe at that time, like, I don't think she knew any different. Yeah. So it's like, like I can't, um, I can't go back to a place of blame. So in in some ways, at least, Um, you know, for her, for her, she always, she always did struggle with weight and borderline, you know, um, obesity at a certain time in her life. And so she always did have, um, you know, medical reasons sometimes to like lose weight and gain weight or whatever it was. But, um, it became a problem for me because I started to associate, um, my physical looks with my worth. Mm -hmm. And that's really what the difference is, is that you can lose weight. I don't have anything. I don't, if people want to be fit, if they want to lose weight, but they have a healthy relationship with food and don't define their self-worth based on their appearance, then that's fine. But I started to confuse the two and really that line blurred where I didn't see that there was a difference between, um, how I looked and, and, and my self-worth. Yeah. I think a lot of people have experienced that. Um, well, let's talk more about um, how you got out of this. So you talked about that come to Jesus moment, um, probably the first of a few. Um, so like when you realize that something is wrong and you really wanted to change and like overcome this, how did you get out of it? What was that process like? Yeah, I struggled at the time. Um, I would, I started by looking online for resources for help and whether that was like an inpatient center or an outpatient center and realized that, um, I couldn't, my insurance didn't cover different treatments or an inpatient center. Oh, I couldn't, there's no way I can take time out of my life to go in an inpatient center. Um, or who do I tell? I couldn't tell anybody. So I suffered for a couple more years while I, desperately tried to, um, heal myself just online, looking at resources, reading blog posts, um, inspirational posts from people that have overcome eating disorders. It all made sense to me. Um, but I couldn't stop the behavior. Um, so until I graduated from, I graduated from law school, um, I was practicing law. I was still in this binge mentality. Um, and I met my, my now husband. 
And he was the first like really healthy relationship that I, that I had. And, um, he made me feel really safe and I don't know why or how I, um, started sharing, but I just felt comfortable. And I thought, you know what, if this guy is serious about me, he had talked about, um, wanting a serious relationship, wanting, um, wanting to get married really early on in our relationship. I thought, you know what, if this guy is serious, he's going to have to know every part of me because if we're going to live together and we are going to start a life together based on honesty and trust, he's got to know. And if he's going to be there for the long haul and help me through this, then he's somebody I want to spend the rest of my life with, or he's going to, it's going to have the opposite effect. I'm going to tell him and he's going to run away because he doesn't want to have anything to do with it. He doesn't know how to, he won't know how to help and he won't want to have any part in it. So, um, so one day I, I told him and I said, you know, I, I'm, I struggle with food. I started it very broad. I struggle with food and I, and I'm telling you this, um, not because I need you to solve my problems because you can't solve them. I'm sharing with you because I'm currently trying to figure my way, like figure out how I'm going to dig myself out of this hole, but I need you just to support me. And he, um, you know, was very positive and was very, um, open to like, and very supportive, um, non-judgmental. And he just said, let me know what I can do. And, um, at that time I was practicing law. I had lost my job. Um, I was doing real estate law and the market had crashed. So I, it was a perfect time for me to like take a little bit of time off and, um, kind of figure out what I wanted to do. And I came across this book called, um, brain over binge, which, um, was the first time that I started to make connections between like why, I'm binging. So yes, there's the component of like my childhood experience, but there's also like with my mom, but there's also the component of our brains are wired a certain way to, um, when you eat X, Y, and Z, you, you triggers a part of your brain to like to binge. So I started just putting two and two together and, um, started to think about what I wanted to do with my life other than practicing law. Um, I enrolled in a, Greg and I moved to San Francisco and I shortly thereafter enrolled in a yoga teacher training, um, up here. And that was, so the combination of yoga teacher training, reading brain over binge, losing my job. Um, and, and I also enrolled in, or I also went started going to therapy. I found a really good therapist up here in San Francisco and I'd go multiple times a week because at that time I needed to go multiple times of the week. Um, to really, um, have someone to talk to that would help give me tough love. Like that wouldn't tell me what I needed to hear, but that would light a fire under my ass to like make some change and to know that I uh, was strong enough to get out of it. I didn't want somebody to pity me. I needed somebody to empower me and to give me the tools to, um, to get out of it. So there, so, so all of those things happened at once. So yoga teacher training, um, my relationship with Greg, get, um, being honest with him and, and acknowledging that I had a problem, going to therapy regularly, learning more about myself and trying to figure out um, career wise, because that was always weighing on me too. like what, how can I be free of this law practice, which is causing me so, so much distress. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. 
So all of those things and navigating my way out was, was really a result of all of those things at once. But I, I do attribute it to, um, you know, I always say one, acknowledge that you have a problem and two, you have to find somebody to share that story with, whether that's a therapist or, um, a friend or somebody that's in your life. That for me was so freeing. I felt that I didn't have to hide anymore behind, um, behind a next, like I could come clean Mm -hmm. and be exactly who I am to somebody. And if that person isn't the right one, it's a good test. Like, you know, whether you tell a friend or a romantic partner or whoever it is, if that person isn't going to be on the receiving end for you, it's not the right person that you should be telling. Um, because that the person you tell should really create a safe space for you because that is like the first step in healing is sharing your story. Yeah. What, what did he say when you explained that you were struggling with food? He said, he said, I don't understand because I, I don't understand because I don't, I don't have, he doesn't have an obsession with food in the way that I did. He eats to live. He enjoys food, but he has, doesn't understand. He's like, I don't understand, um, why you are perfect as you are. I love you for you, for you. I don't love you because you look a certain way. I love your heart and your soul. And I don't understand, but I can, I can be here to support you, but you need to tell me what you need. And I said, I honestly don't know what I need right now. I'm trying to figure it out. I just need you to know that, um, or, or, and help keep me accountable. Because one of the things that I would do was, um, closet, closet eat at night. So after dinner, I would you know sneak chocolate into the bedroom or I would sneak things like to the day that he found me with the loaf of bread. Um, you know, he would sometimes like call me out and I would get upset. I'd get defensive right away and say, leave me alone. This is, I'm eating my chocolate. Um, I get really upset and say, stop judging me. What reality, he wasn't judging me. He was trying, he was really trying to help me and to say, Nicole, like, are you sure you want to be eating that chocolate right now? Are you really sure you need to eat the whole thing? Like he wasn't coming from a place of um, judgment, but I, in that moment, you don't want to be called out. And so my first line of reaction was defense. I'm going to defend myself. No, I, 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 I'm fully conscious of this chocolate that I'm going to eat right now. Um, it took me being really vulnerable um, with him and accepting that he's coming from a place of love and he's not coming from a place of judging me for eating chocolate. He's like, I don't care what you eat. I want you to just eat it out in the open. Why do you have to sit inside the bedroom with the door closed and locked um, to enjoy that chocolate? You are allowed to have any food that you want to have, but let's open it up and have a healthy relationship around it. Bring it out and sit at the table. So to this day, it's something that, you know, after dinner, if I want my chocolate or something, I, I have to remind myself, I'm the easy thing for me is to go into my, my bedroom with my computer and open it. But the right thing to do for me is like literally sitting at my sitting at the table, eating it out in the open because I'm not hiding anything anymore. Um, so he kind of helped normalize that for me. Honestly, that's amazing for him because I think it can be really hard to be the friend or the family member or the significant other of somebody who's struggling with an eating disorder, because that's a huge, I mean, I I think about it now and I'm like, that is, I think about the people who helped me through it. And I'm like, that was a big role. Like that's not an easy thing to deal with because I mean, it is like a mental health disorder when you're like struggling with an eating disorder. And that could be very hard to, it can be hard to support someone like that. 
totally. You don't know. You don't know. Um, oftentimes because the person on the, the other end hasn't experienced it or they really don't know how they can help or they go into um, problem solving mode when sometimes I think the best, especially guys, I don't know, maybe it's just me thinking like guys are tend to be more problem solvers. Women are tend to be like more listeners um, in my experience. But, you know, instead, you know, he didn't go into this like problem solving mode. It was more like, I'm telling you, I need you to just be listener. I don't need you to go into trying to fix a problem because that you can't fix what I need to fix. It's going to come from me. I just need you to be my partner and my supporter. So are you in or are you, are you out? That's what I need to know. And if he was out, then that's not somebody I want to spend the rest of my life with for sure. Mm -hmm. So so in the in that book, Brain Over Binge, like, I mean, she talks about this idea of just basically saying no, like to that other voice in your head. Yeah. And was it like that for you? Like, was it like this one day you just realized you could say no? Or was it more of a, like, slow, slow phase out of binging? It was a slow phase out of binging. It wasn't a one, one day I woke up. I mean, her book was an aha moment for me. Um, but it 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 didn't happen overnight. Um, I started to, as I went through the yoga teacher training, as I started to have more of the conversations with Greg about it, as I started to take a few steps out of law, some of the pressures and the need for secrecy kind of stopped. And I started phasing out the, like the urge to binge sort of went away as I started like, um, consuming less of the refined sugars and eating smaller amounts of those so that, Yes, I would still binge, but it wasn't a daily thing. It started becoming like every three days, then every five days, then wow, I made it a week and I haven't gone back to that place. And um, so I think it was just being armed with that information. Yeah. Um, yeah. It didn't go off. It didn't just turn off. It was just a like a, you know, a progression of so many, all of the different positive factors that I had in my life that made the need to binge kind of go away. Yeah. Have you, I mean, after you recovered, did you ever have any relapses or any times when you binged? Yeah. Um, I think there were a few times after, after that, where, you know, I felt physically strong and empowered and felt like I was in great shape. And then something in my life would, would happen. Like Greg and I, if Greg and I early on, um, you know, we had a bad fight and we moved, when we had moved up to San Francisco, we felt both of us felt very alone here. Um, cause both of our families and friends are, or my family's in Los Angeles, his is in on the East coast, but all of our circle of friends was in LA. And when we moved up here together, it was really, it was challenging. And after I got all the help that I needed, you know, a month after there I was with, you know, going into Safeway and buying a gallon of ice cream again when he was at work and binging. And I'm like, well, wait, maybe I'm not healed. Maybe I'm not. Again, I'm, I'm using food to to cope with um, a fight that I had with Greg or and feeling lonely and feeling um, isolated up here in this new city. So it took a few times, I would say, of a few relapses to finally be done. Mm -hmm. And, um, since then, um, it's been a good five, six, five, six years now, um, that I've had a healthy relationship with food and I openly talk about it and I openly communicate with it. And I try to change, I've changed my habits, um, to healthier ones. And part of it is also having kids now myself and wanting to be the role model that, 
um, I don't think I had and um, wanting my boys to understand that that food is you know nourishing for your body there's no to me there is no good and bad there's healthy and less healthy let's make healthy choices so that we can feel good you can have anything you want but let's talk about it let's talk about nutrition let's talk about how we feel let's talk about our our how we feel physically and also our feelings associated when we when we eat a certain food mm-hmm. so well, congratulations on overcoming all of that. And I am curious, like you talked about how the refined sugar is like a trigger for you. So you're conscious of that. Um, is there anything else that you're like conscious of in terms of the way you eat now that if you notice you do or don't eat certain things, it can kind of mess with your higher thinking? That's it. Yeah, it's really just sugars that ice cream, sugars. Um, yeah. All right. So that's it. It could be, it could be, I, I love pasta and I love bread and all of that stuff, but I can, I, I totally have a healthy relationship with it now. Um, I can limit myself and be totally fine, but it really is like, I have to make a concerted effort to, to, to stay away from the, the sweeter yeah. things. Yeah. So you talked about how like law school definitely heightened, heightened that intensified it. And I also know you've talked about that when your first marriage like that did as well um and because you got divorced at 21 right yeah 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 (laughs) you're like oh god (laughs) I know that was that was such a hard time in my life um you know I I grew up in LA like I said and um I was 19 when we got married and he got matched into his residency program he was a doctor um in New York so that was so I left my home we got we got married I left my home, uh, moved to New York with him. Um, and it was our first time living together and, um, you know, things were not as they, as they were when we were dating in LA. And I think you see a lot of, you see a different side of somebody when you're living with them versus when you're just dating and living separately. Um, and I was a student at NYU he, you know, was on call for, you know, days on end and, it was, you know, I come from a traditional Armenian culture and he was, um, part of that, a traditional Armenian guy who, you know, he, he felt that a woman's place was at home and he didn't want me to pursue things like law school. He came from a family of, of a lot of wealth and just wanted me to shop all day long and, um, maybe pop out babies and do all of these things that like I didn't want to do because I had, career goals and aspirations to go to law school, even if I never practiced a day in my life, I, those, it was always really important. Education was always really important to me and also not jumping into everything too fast. And so all of these things I learned, um, after we got married and we're living together and then he started having an unhealthy relationship with alcohol and, um, and I was living with him. So it was really, it was a really bad, um, it was a really bad year. And I remember calling my mom and telling my mom, um, and I think I was 20 at this 20 at this point, um, student at NYU and called my mom and crying like, mom, I can't do this anymore. I want, I want out. 
And uh, she's like, do you love him? And I said, she's like, if you love him, marriage is not easy. She's like, if you love him, you stay, you go home and you make it work. Let's you figure out the tools. Let's get you the tools to make it work. If you don't love him and he doesn't respect you, that's a different story. You're 20. You have the whole rest of your life ahead of you. We'll do whatever we um, have to do to get you out of this situation. And, um, and I tell you this story because it's important. And, um, so I, I made the decision to leave and I'll, I remember coming home, um, walking home from NYU and went to our building to get inside my apartment and the doorman wouldn't let me up to my own apartment because my ex had changed the locks on our door in the place where I lived. And I had to walk through Harlem to the police station to get police officers to come and let me back into our apartment. I packed up my stuff. Um, I was in the apartment, packed up all my stuff. And he and his mom, uh, his mom had flown up from L.A. He came, um, you know, they threatened me and said if I left him that they were going to ruin my reputation in the Armenian community, threatened me. Um, and I took my suitcase and I rolled out of my apartment and I walked to the nearest hotel and I lived in a hotel for six months, um, until I graduated from NYU and I took my LSAT and I did all of these things. But that was such an intense time for me. Um, you know, he, he cut off all my credit cards. He all of these things where my parents really had to like step up and come to the rescue because I was all alone in, in Manhattan, Um, but those things and feeling so lost, I didn't have a home that was mine. I was living in a hotel. Um, I was under a tremendous amount of stress to like succeed on the LSAT to get into law school. My hair started falling out in clumps. Um, the only thing I had was my exercise to like keep me sane and controlling my food intake. So between the divorce, um, and feeling super unsettled, the only thing that I could control was my food. And that is why I gravitated towards like I'd I'd binge, I'd go and, uh, you know, again, take all of the money that my dad gave me to survive and go buy, um, you know, copious amounts of junk food and eat it binge and like, feel like I can study for the LSAT now. Um, Yeah. I can't, I can't even imagine. I'm so, okay. So he, he changed the locks after you told him you were going to leave him. Is that how that happened? Yeah. I told him this isn't working out. I, you know, I think we need to get a divorce. Um, and the next day I just, I woke up, I went to school, I went to classes. I was on, and I remember coming home from school that day. So I guess he'd, he'd sat on it. He must've talked to his mom and his mom flew out from LA to New York And, you know, it's so funny, even back then, I, although I was struggling with the food issues, I still liked to bake. If you haven't seen, I mean, sure, you know, my Instagram, I love to bake. Um, but, um, I, this doorman was like, became my friend. Like I would always bake him treats and, um, thought we, you know, had a great relationship. So imagine me coming home, you know, a student with my backpack on and like trying to go up to my apartment and my pal, the doorman wouldn't let me up. And he's like, well, his name is on the lease. It's not, it's not yours. And I'm like, but all my stuff is in there. And I'm at the end of the day, if you think about somebody being 20 years old, you're a child, you really don't know, um, much or, or you have a good support system around you. And I didn't have any friends out there because he was controlling and I wasn't allowed to have friends. He didn't want me to, um, to feel like I was missing out on a college life or, 
I was the only one of the only college students that was that was married. So it was his way of controlling me and by not letting me like go out with like single girlfriends or go out in groups or do anything. So I didn't have anybody's, um, you know, apartment that I could crash at or a girlfriend that I could call and say, Hey, I'm really struggling. All I had was my parents in LA and I had, you know, I was still a student. I had, you know, to study and do everything that I needed to do. So, um, you know, I, everything, everything happens for a reason. It's, it's cliche. And it led me to, it led me to where I am now that I feel proud of, but had I not, and had I not gone through that experience, Hey, you know, who knows if my current relationship would be where it's at because I'm realistic to know what's, what's normal in a relationship. And now what's, what's not normal, what I want to accept and what I don't want to accept. Um, but yeah, that was the, you know, between that experience and then the actual law school experience itself, those were the two times in my life that the eating disorders were at its, at its height. I I can imagine, like, even just hearing that story, like, puts me in a sympathetic state. Like, that is stressful. I'm curious. Uh, yeah. Um, I'm curious, how did you two meet initially? Yeah, he was um, my friend's brother. And um, so I was friends with this girl. And she said, you know, you should meet my you should meet my brother one day. He's, um, he's in medical school. So although I would hang out with her often and go to her house and we do all these things together, he was always like holed up in his room. So I never didn't even, never even met him. He was just always gone. Um, and then I was re- after I graduated from high school that she said, you know, there's a, he's having a party. He had graduated, he, he graduated or passed some exam. Um, he's having a party. Why don't you come out with us? And he was the first, like he was, um, he, treated me like a queen right away. And when I say, when I say a queen, I don't mean, um, showering me with like material things. Although he did do that too. I meant he treated me like he, he was very respectful. He was very, um, supportive of things that I wanted to do at that time. I told him I wanted to go to law school. I had, I, um, you know, he was very supportive of that. Um, he was, he made me feel good about myself physically. He made me just, he, he uplifted me. And so it was very easy to fall in love with him. And, um, a few months later he got matched into his residency program and being in a traditional Armenian community, you can't, there was no way at that time that his parents or my parents were going to let me move to New York all the way across the country, not being married. It's just, it's not the way things go in our culture. So we had, um, you know, a big 200 person wedding at the Beverly Hills hotel, got married. Um, it was like this big show put on by his family and, um, I moved to New York city and literally within two months of moving out there, I realized that I had made like a huge mistake that this person wasn't who I thought he was. And, um, his ideas for me were completely different than, um, what he portrayed them to me or communicated them to me when we were, when we were dating. So, yeah. Before you got married, did you ever have any inkling that like, I I don't know that he might change at all or was it really just totally after, you know, I think I did. I think, um, I, I overlooked things. Like I think as women, we're very like intuitive people we feel and, 
at least I do. And I have a really good gauge on people, but I think it's also really um, easy to ignore our intuition because we want something so bad sometimes. Like the idea of I'm, I'm married to a guy that loves, I'm getting married to a guy that loves me and that I will be, although I have my own career aspirations and things I want to do financially, I won't have to worry. I can do all of those things that I still want to do. I felt secure. Um, but there were some, there were some moments of like where I, I saw a controlling side to him. Um, but I ignored it because I really wanted the idea of this perfect marriage and this perfect life that we were going to have together. And that's one of the things that like I know now, or that I really, when it comes to friendships, when it comes to any relationship that kind of comes into my life these days, like if something doesn't feel good and your intuition tells you something, there's a reason why, like there's a reason why. And I'm trying not to ignore that anymore and to like ignore that and really be in touch with like what that those feelings and, um, exploring more, but I was naive. I mean, I was, I wanted it so bad, um, that I, that I overlooked a lot. And, you know, my parents were against it too. They, they, they were only comfortable with it because they knew his family, but not comfortable with it because I was so young and, you know, having to be my first serious, he was my first serious relationship, um, that they're like, you have the rest of your life to live. Why are you jumping into getting married? Well, I don't know. I think I was also afraid of losing him. If he it was, if he was the love of my life and he went to New York without me, it was like, I didn't, it's either I jump on this train and take a chance or I take a chance on losing him. So yeah. Damn. After that divorce, First of all, did they actually destroy your reputation in the Armenian community? Second of all, did you ever communicate with him after? Yeah, they did. He went around spreading rumors around about me or in the Armenian community. It was just, it's crazy. Just that like I, um, he would say that I, um, I left him for somebody else or that there was another guy in the picture when the reality is, is that I was a student at NYU studying for my LSAT that didn't want to sit home and have babies and be controlled. I just had different ambitions. And, you know, because divorce is such a taboo subject in the Armenian community that, um, he had to find a way, um, he had to find a way to justify, um, the fact that he was getting divorced. And ironically, the thing is, is that he, he got married once or one or two more times later and I, and they both ended up the same way, which is kind of crazy, but interesting. How did yeah. you find out about that? The Armenian community is small, oh my gosh. <laughs> um, you know, it, it, it is, you know, my, a lot of it just through my parents, um, cause they, they still see the family out. I've seen him a few times, um, years ago. I haven't seen him in many years, but, um, always very uncomfortable, not a, not a, not a family that they care to be associated with. Yeah. That's unfortunate. People can change. Like it makes it hard to trust people too. And I'm curious how after that experience, did that affect like your willingness to try again with other men, like have other relationships or even friendships? Cause I feel like my guard would be really up. Yeah. It took me, I'll tell you, I mean, it took me, uh, you know, five, six, seven years of dating after that. I came home uh, from New York. I graduated. I moved back at home, back in with 
with my parents um, to just kind of get on my own two feet again and start to build my self-esteem again and start to like try to, you know, heal from like a divorce. Um, and I, but I was also really eager to get back into the dating game and to like see what else is out there. But I didn't, I couldn't commit to anybody. I met some really great guys along the way, but I was really scared of getting close to somebody because, you know, my ex painted himself out to be this really great person who really loved me and would do anything for me. And we were going to have a great life together. And then I moved to New York and he was anything but, and you know, that people can change, you know, with a snap of a finger, um, or overnight that it really, that people really can do that. Um, it took me a couple of years. And for that reason, like I met some really quality guys that, um, for whatever reason, I just couldn't commit because either I wasn't ready or I just was really scared. Um, so, you know, I dated for, I think I, I divorced 20, yeah, about eight or eight or nine years. And then when I met Greg, um, we met through cycling. Um, I was into cycling at the time in LA and he was like the first person that I met that like was like, very different. And I don't know if it just made me feel really safe really quickly. Um, and it just, I don't know, he, instead of being in a world where text messages so prevalent and everybody's texting and every, no one's picking up the phone and there's no thing as chivalry anymore. He was that, he was the opposite of all of that. He picked up the phone. He was, um, genuinely made an effort. He was not a a womanizer trying to like date me and 10 other girls at the same time, but it felt very safe. And I knew that like, if I don't, if I don't, um, give this guy, a hundred percent of me and be, um, I, I can't be one foot in and one foot out. Like I was with every other guy after I got divorced, I was always one foot in and one foot out because I didn't trust anyone. But I knew that with Greg, if I didn't go in with both feet, I would lose him because he was a re- like a real stand up guy that like is, is in it for the right reasons. And that scared the shit out of me. But I knew that, um, but I also knew that like I had, I had, there was that intuition again, and go back to that intuition of knowing that I have to just give into this one, um, and see where it takes, even if I end up getting hurt again, like I have to go in and, and put myself out there again. Thank God you did. Right. He ended yeah. up being the right one. Um, totally. And yeah. that's not to say, like, you know, I think maybe we'll touch on it too, but it's not easy, you know, relationships, no marriage is is perfect. No marriage is easy. Um, people say relationship goals or they say, Oh, you know, from the outside, things look perfect. Marriages and all relationships take a lot of work. And we definitely still do go, we go through rough patches where we feel like, you know, there are moments where I'm like, Oh my gosh, like I can't do this anymore. But then you come back to, um, you come back down to your core and your values and, realize that you love and respect somebody. And if you do love and respect them, like my mom always said, you, you make the effort to, um, to make it work. So I think that's an interesting point. I think that social media and us seeing so well, what we think as so much of people's lives has made it really hard for people now to be in relationships because people are looking for some perfect idea they've built up in their head and people bail the second anything gets hard or, and also we're into this instant gratification with the dating apps. Yeah. Um, 
but not like that. <laughs> yeah, no, it's, it's totally not. And I think that's, you know, one of the things that I want to show more of this year and talk about more is, is my relationship because, you know, my, my Instagram and my blog has been really mostly about my own personal journey and trying to empower people through that and sharing healthier recipes and all of that. But there's, there is also like the Greg component who is like, you know, a huge part of my life. And I feel, um, you know, I, it's not perfect. It takes a lot of work, but it's, it is also the most fulfilling relationship that I've had. Um, and, and it shows that like anything that is worth it is worth fighting for and that you do have to put in the work because you, people change like who I am 10, like when we met 10 years ago is not who I am today, mm-hmm. but evolving with somebody and, and communicating and continuing to make yourself vulnerable, I think is the key. And sometimes he needs to help me with that because I put up a tough exterior and he's like, you got to break down that wall. Like if you want to make this work, you need to get vulnerable. I'm like, okay, he's, he's onto something and I need to let my guard down because if he's the safe person in my life, I don't have to be tough around him. Mm-hmm. So what a catch. Damn. Yeah, he's a good guy. He's a good, <laughs> guy. he's a good guy. So when you met, you were still, you were, wait, were you out of law school? Yeah. I was out of law school. Okay. I was practicing law. I had lost my job. Um, and I met him kind of around that time before I lost, before I lost my job mm-hmm. and, um, we moved in together right away, like about after about three months of dating. And, um, I was actually really excited to move in because that was something that I had not done with my ex. And I knew that I'm going to move in with this guy. I told him about my eating issues. This is going to be the true test of whether this is meant to be, or it's not meant to be. And I'll know real fast. Um, so it felt comfortable to me and my parents were totally on board this time. I think after they saw what happened to me last time, they're like, sure, go ahead. If you think this is the person and you want to move in with him, go do it by all means. Cause we really don't want to have another situation like this again. Um, and that was the best decision, best decision, best decision I made because I was really able to get to know him on a deeper level and get to know his day to day routines. He was able to get to know mine and, be a safe space for me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, so then let's talk a little bit about like, you decide to not be a lawyer anymore. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, how did you get started with kale junkie? And then like, how did that transition into becoming your full time job? Yeah, interesting. So, um, you know, I started kale junkie after I had Gavin. So Gavin's almost four now. So I, ha- I started it close to four years ago after I had him with my, one of my girlfriends started a little, um, separate Instagram page. And I started mine really just to, to show food and we'd share recipes and fun things like that with no idea of, um, ever making any or having any type of job from it. I in fact thought, how could anybody, you know, she had told me that people make a living from Instagram. I'm like, what, how is that? possible. So it just, it was just a place for me to share my recipes. Um, but as I, um, as I started trying to figure out my interests, I realized, okay, I'm healed from this eating disorder. I 
the last part of my life that I need to transition is my career to kind of finally feel like I've gone, done a full circle and come around. And how can I do that? So I just continued to share on Instagram my food and um, I started to talk more about my personal struggles. And as I started to talk more intimately about the eating disorder and um, my divorce and things that I'd gone through, I started, my account started growing and I realized that people are longing for that information that they don't, yes, they want recipes and all of that fun stuff, but they also really are drawn to like real stories and human connections because the truth is, is that there are thousands and maybe millions of women that struggle with the eating disorders or thousands and thousands of people that are in the wrong relationships, but that stay in those, stay in those relationships. Um, because either you're stuck and you don't know how to get out. So it was kind of like, I felt like I have my mission. My personal mission is really to empower and inspire other women to live their best lives by giving them the tools through my own, my own experiences to really to get out of the trenches and that there is light at the other light on the other end. So I started, I, the more I started posting, the more I realized I have less time to, um, to devote and to be all into like my real job that was bringing in money. And, um, slowly, but surely I started partnering with different brands. Um, and I think when I was, at, I don't know, maybe 10, eight to 10,000 followers and realizing that I can partner with brands that I'm very much aligned with, that I love their product and that I use as part of my daily life to earn, to, to earn a living and not right away. I I mean, I, it took me a long time to get to the point where, you know, I can sustain myself, um, solely on the income that I make from Instagram and from my blog. Um, but it was, but it was a slow process and it was taking more and more of my time. Um, so, so that's why I had to finally, um, say goodbye to law. I can do this full time. Um, never thinking that I could do anything else. So I don't know what the future holds. I don't know how long this will be, but my mission, you know, going forward and my plan is really to, um, you know, continue finding ways to like inspire other women, especially, um, and helping them through their struggles. Was that, was that a hard decision to make to leave your, your job and like leave law or were you just like not really into law anymore? You know, I, the way I looked at it was that I can always come back that, you know, I have my law degree. I'm still, um, licensed and barred to practice law in California. So I can, I can practice, I can do whatever now if I want. And if this doesn't work out, I always have something to fall back on. Um, but you, you're, I'm never going to know if I don't take a chance and that's like, sure. It's change is really scary, especially from, you know, if you have a career in one thing and you're doing, going to do something completely different, it's super scary. But I think knowing that you have a skill set. So what I always tell people is that make sure you have a skill set that like take a chance on something, but Hey, if it's not, if you end up, if I decided to try this Instagram or blogging thing and I decided I didn't love it anymore, or it wasn't for me, that you have a tran- you have a skill set that you can always fall back on. Mm-hmm. So, um, so I think that kind of gave me like, uh, uh, you know, peace of mind to know that I'm never going to be like 
high and dry. I can always go back to something, but if I don't take a chance and I don't, um, if I don't pursue something that for once actually makes me feel happy and good, that I'm, I might miss a boat and here, here I go again and being, being scared to take a chance on something. Yeah. Well, so if I ever need a lawyer, can you help me? Yes. <laughs> um, I am curious cause I always like to ask people who have made like a very big job transition, especially because there are so many, um, preconceived ideas about what it's like to be an influencer or whatever that means. Like what was the, comparing how much you worked before and what your work was like then to how much you work now and what your work is like now, how did those two compare? Um, you know, I'm, I'm working just as hard, um, but in different ways. So whereas like practicing law was really long hours, but I was dreading it every step of the way because I actually hated the subject matter and I hated the research and I hated writing all these big, long documents and sitting behind my computer all day. This is, you know, I'm, it's, you know, being, being an influencer or whatever you want to call it is, is challenging in the way, in, in ways that are different. So for one, it's all, if you want to be authentic and you want to do it right, you have to partner only with brands that are part of your life and that, um, that, or else you're just going to be just like everybody else. You have to differentiate yourself and stay true to, um, who you are. So with that means like really sticking close to those brands, trying to get continued partnerships with them, not accepting every opportunity that comes your way and staying ahead of the game and trying to create the most quality content that you can, um, so that you can continue, um, so that you can continue working with them. Mm -hmm. So long hours for me, um, you know, really, you know, in my kitchen, um, answering emails. Um, you know, as you know, I do the social media still for another company. Um, that is still kind of just a little side thing that I have for myself that, that, that I enjoy, um, for the most part. And yeah, so it's, it's working differently, working, you know, really long hours, but in a way that's more fulfilling. And I think the flip side of that is, um, sometimes I work too much and that I do need like Greg to sometimes bring me back down to reality and say, Hey, you know, your kid, you're, we're here. Like, you know, I'm like, okay, you know what? I need to take time off or I need to like put this away now because what's really important is like my family and friends and people that are around me. So that's the things that I'm, I'm working on personally. Yeah. I mean too. I know we've talked about this before. Like we both are like, we need more boundaries, (laughs) like to stop working sometimes. But I'm curious, do you have any type of like, I mean, obviously, I mean, every day is always different in this field, but do you have any type of like general daily routine or how you kind of manage your time during the day to be most productive? Yeah, up in, for the first, um, last year, I I started getting into a better routine um, in about in November or just in December of last year. And I realized that I'm going to do, I do recipes, I create recipes two days a week instead of trying to like, create something new every single day. I start every day with, um, exercise because that's really important to me is to get me grounded and, and started on the right foot. So two days a week is recipe creation and development and, and the photography associated with that. Um, I do another full day with the other social media brand that I manage, um, another full day of emails and all the admin work. 
um, and, and generating new business for myself. So not only do, um, you know, opportunities come my way, but I'm also going after new opportunities myself and and trying to align myself with brands and products that I really love. Yeah. Wait, so do you do admin stuff and emails only one day a week? You check email once a week? No, I I check my emails every day, but I try to like, I devote one full day to like answering everything, doing, doing all the contracts, um, that I need to do, um, occasionally, like as they trickle in, if something's important during the week, I respond to it right away. But one full day of like actually like sitting down to, to do it right. That's an interesting tactic that I might have to do that. I'm like, I'm like trying to figure out how I can fix things around here, but I like that. Greg taught me that. He's like, you need to just set days where you're going to do X, Y, and Z. And I said, that's so hard. He's like, but you know, you're not pulled in so many different directions, you know, like, and, and you can tell people that they can expect a response to like, if it's a, if it's something lengthy, they can re- expect a response on Tuesday or on Friday is the day that you're going to sit down and do that. Um, of course, again, like I said, if some, if it's something important, yes, of course, I'm going to respond on a non Tuesday or whatever it is. But, um, for the most part, yeah, yes. I mean, I batch out my days, um, for other things, but I never thought to do that for emails. So you have, you have an admin day. Mm-hmm. An admin day. <laughs> yeah, maybe I'll have an admin day. I like that. Yeah. Okay, well, God, this has been great. I'm so <laughs> happy you came on. Um, and I, I feel like I got to pull out all the information I wanted to mostly, but I mean, I could dive in more, but you what got do you, some good yeah, you you've nailed it. I'm so appreciative of you sharing all that. And like, I mean, what's new? What's like, what are you excited about? What's next for you? What can people yeah. expect? Yeah, it was, you know, I, um, you know, as I, as I mentioned, like I started do, um, you know, my account is all food. I think uh, this year I'm trying to transition more into mixing it up with lifestyle, um, with lifestyle stuff, because I think that that's, that's important for me to be able to share my messages and little bite-sized nuggets that aren't kind of unrelated to food. Um, so that I'm going to be hosting some events this year and potentially an ebook at some point. And I'm also, um, thinking about getting involved with a charity, um, that's surrounded with, uh, or involved in mental health that they're based here in the San Francisco area. I should have more details on that in the coming weeks. Awesome. That's exciting. I can't wait to hear more about that. I think that's amazing. So I gotta, I gotta do something else, um, to fill my cup aside from, um, you know, creating recipes and, and, and putting that information out there. I kind of want to do something that feels really like in, meaningful to my soul. Yeah. Okay. Well, you, one last question is you have a lot of really killer recipes. What's tell people <laughs> like, which one should they check out first? Like, what are some of your favorites? Oh, they need to check out my life changing chocolate chip tahini cookies. Those are my favorite and they're really easy to make. And so they're, and they're foolproof. And you like, even if you're not a baker, you cannot mess it up. All right. Amazing. (laughs) I mean, you can't go wrong with chocolate chips and tahini, right? Totally. So good. Okay. Tell everyone where they can find more from you. They can find more from me um, on Instagram. That my handle is at kale junkie, one word, um, and on my blog, um, www.kalejunkie.com. And you can also email me at nicole at kalejunkie.com. Amazing! Thank you so much, Nicole. This is amazing.
Thank you so much. I appreciate your time. Huge thank you to Nicole for coming on the show. If that episode didn't give you the feels, I don't know what will. Make sure you reach out to her at Kill Junkie on Instagram or head to killjunkie.com to learn more from her. Let her know what you thought of the episode. And as usual, if you enjoyed the show, please leave a rating interview on iTunes. It means so much to me and helps me get the word out about the podcast. And also make sure you share the episode with friends if you liked it. I love when you share on social media so I know which episodes you love. That's going to be it this time. I hope you have an incredible day and I will talk to you again next.